1: That's right, it is the special 4th of July holiday episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. I've warned you all that I will be doing holiday-themed episodes. I've already done this in the past for Thanksgiving, Christmas, Father's Day, Mother's Day, New Year's, And here we are, the first time that, since I started doing holiday episodes, that the 4th of July has occurred during the tenure of this podcast. And it seemed to make a lot of sense, because with my episodes routinely coming out on Monday and 4th of July landing on a Monday this year, this episode will actually come out on the 4th of July! So I have a lot of things to discuss on this episode, so I'm not going to waste any time providing the typical personal updates that I usually give to start each episode. And I want to promise you right now that the entire episode is not going to be about current political bullshit and typically I tend to try to avoid political stuff in the podcast. Yeah, there have been episodes that sometimes are directly related to politics, sometimes the politics aspect bleeds in to a specific topic, but I prefer to try and keep it more lighthearted, and as we know, politics is not the most lighthearted discussion. But, you know, some shit happened recently, and it's all the talk. It happened after I recorded the last episode, so I didn't really have a chance to digest or even discuss it. But let's go ahead and get that out of the way now, and then we will go ahead and get into the actual 4th of July shit. So, what am I talking about regarding politics? Well, if you don't know, then you've been living under a rock. There was the overturning by the Supreme Court of Roe v. Wade. Now, I've discussed this in a previous episode, if not multiple episodes of the podcast, and I have no doubt that when this podcast comes out, this will still be a very hot topic. There will still be a lot of discussion and debates going on about it. And oddly enough, you know, when the ruling came down like one or two days after I recorded my last episode about fairy tales and a lot. Lot of religious stories, I was very reminded of things that I had brought up on that episode not knowing this was going to happen about how morality is subjective. And it is, very much so. I mean, look at this whole issue right now where, you know, those in favor of the overturning of the ruling, they think abortion is immoral. But those opposed to the overturning of the ruling think that banning abortion or telling a woman what to do or what not to do with her body is immoral. Both sides can't be right unless morality is truly subjective, and it is. I will say that when I was door dashing the other day, I decided, you know, knowing that I was going to kind of be having to talk about this on the episode, I flipped on for a little bit on my SiriusXM radio. I flipped on the CNN news channel which I believe is essentially the TV feed just coming out of the radio, Listen to that for a bit, then I switched over to the Fox News channel feed coming out of the Sirius XM satellite radio. And predictably, the broadcasts were polar opposites of each other. The stances taken by the hosts and the people being interviewed were absolutely one-sided to one side of the argument, depending on which station you were on. Again, very predictable, not a shock, but still a little bit disappointing, even though it's predictable to Know that it is that predictable. So as I said, I have discussed Roe v. Wade in at least one recent episode of the podcast, and I will admit I was wrong. I'm pretty sure on one of the episodes I said, you know, I know they're talking about possibly overturning it, but I really didn't think that was going to happen. I just thought they're not going to do something that dramatic because it's just rocking the boat too much and they may lose votes even from a conservative perspective. So I was wrong. Oh. Also, you know, this has given me a reason to kind of sit back and reflect because I do take very strong stances, or I guess that's how it could be perceived to my listenership who doesn't really know me personally, which would be almost all of you. But I do consider myself a very open-minded and willing to listen to every side of an argument or a story. And unlike a lot of the country right now, I do not ever misconstrue any of my opinions to be fact. And if I were to have a guest or a co-host more often, you know, I'd be able to actually have discussions, but I don't. It's me just sitting here talking to myself, so I have no choice but to kind of just take one perspective and ride with it. But again, do not misunderstand a lot of the opinions that I have put forth as me being resistant to alternate opinions or perspectives. Like, for example, if you listen to the last episode Gas Pains, you might think that I'm anti-Biden. But if you go back and listen to the episode I did on the Capitol riots, then you might think that I'm anti Trump. Fact is, I'm both. I am anti current system. They all suck, and not just the presidents, the entire system. Speaking of Trump, I want to say that, you know, those that are just outraged and opposing the ruling last week, a lot of them are pointing the finger at Trump specifically for nominating conservative religious judges during his term. I will say this is not Trump's fault. I'm not defending him. What I'm saying is that it's the fault of. Of the two-party system. Any other Republican president would have done the same thing and had there been a Democrat president in office when all those seats became available in the Supreme Court, there would absolutely right now be a strong majority of liberal Democrat judges. It's just how the timing worked out. Had nothing to do with Trump. Also, I want to say in regard to the system sucking, it is pathetic that our government can rarely accomplish anything or make any progress. Yet for some reason, it seemed easy for them to accomplish this complete regression of progress. And that's absolutely what this is. With all of the shit our country has to deal with right now, this is what's getting done. Rolling back amendments, or changes to the system from decades and decades ago. That, my friends, is regression. Also, along those lines, I want to point out, you know, Clarence Thomas, the African-American judge on the Supreme Court, is one of the people who was a big supporter of overturning Roe v. Wade. In fact, I read some quote in some image online that basically was a picture of Clarence Thomas with a quote underneath that said, I go to mass before I go to work. That is messed up. These openly admitting that religion absolutely affects and impacts his decisions as a judge. First off, that should be automatic means for dismissal from his appointment as a judge on the supreme court anyone in this country who thinks that any religion christianity included should be a driving factor in the laws and policies of this nation you can never ever claim that you feel like equality is important to you or to this country because guess what the entire nation is not christian or whatever religion you would want that to be also clarence thomas you're an idiot because by doing this by regressing and rolling back modern changes to the legal system to the federal law to the constitution you are setting a precedent sir one that you as a african american judge on the Supreme Court should be very sensitive to. The only reason that you are a judge on the Supreme Court is because of modernized changes to our law and our Constitution. So you want to keep setting precedents like this, then you might want to brace yourself for the very near future where you no longer are used to hearing yourself being referred to as Your Honor, but instead will be used to referring to other people as Massa. So one of the arguments that people are bringing up when they're saying, hey, look, it's not that big of a deal is the fact that by overturning Roe v. Wade, the federal government is not saying that abortion is illegal. They're simply saying that the states have the power to determine if it is legal or what rules are set in regard to the abortion standards, the terms, viability, et cetera. And I will say that in a recent episode when I was discussing this briefly, when there was hubbub about this particular... ...potentially being overturned, and I said, I don't think it's going to happen. I was actually supportive of the idea of the overturning simply because I like the idea of states having power over the federal government just putting a blanket over everything. But I will tell you that, again, after kind of this actually happening, I'm torn right now over how I feel about that. You know, in one regard, I I do still believe that it is highly unrealistic to think that the citizens in the state of West Virginia want and require the same exact standards and law definitions as the residents in, say, California. Those are two very different types of people, two different factions. It's okay that they might have different standards from a legal perspective in their state because of the different types of people. You know, one example where a lot of the people who are very upset about the overturning of Roe v. Wade that I guarantee you were in very strong favor of the states having the power— Would be in regards to the legalization of marijuana.
2: All right, all right, all right.
1: Either medicinally or for just recreational use in their states, because what was happening was the federal government did not recognize that state's authority. And instead they said, well, federally, it's not recognized. So they were going in, they were busting these dispensaries, putting people in prison for drug offenses, and not recognizing the state law. And people were up in arms going, why can't the states have? the power? Why should the federal government get involved? And I'm sure a lot of the people who threw that argument up over marijuana reform and marijuana legalization are now saying, Why are you giving the power to the states? That's a terrible idea. Also, you know, pretty much, I don't know, within like a day, maybe the same day, I don't know, of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v.ersus Wade, the Supreme Court overturned state laws for gun reform. So they basically, you know, were hypocritical, and in the same breath as preaching that it should be the state's power on one issue, they said, well, it shouldn't be the state's power on this one. And you know me, I hate, hate, hate hypocrisy. Speaking of hypocrisy, there is a very high chance that people who are pro-life are also pro-death penalty. So much for wanting to preserve every life, Jeff, I know. But again, this is where setting a precedent in any form can be very tricky and very dangerous. I mean, sometimes I'm sure it could be helpful, but right now I would say that most people sitting on the left side of the aisle would currently push for states to have control over laws regarding guns and marijuana, but not abortion. And that's where I'm torn, because as much as I loathe hypocrisy, almost as equally do I loathe the idea of people who expect double standards. Only when it meets their needs, of course. Another thing I have noticed in posts and feeds online is regarding the mandatory vasectomies for men. Like, well, if women can't have abortions, then men should have to have mandatory vasectomies. I will tell you that if during this time, if you have ever mentioned a mandatory vasectomy in response to all of this, you are an idiot and a hypocrite. The word mandatory when it comes to medical procedures on anybody's body is in complete conflict with your argument about a person's choice. Now, I'll tell you that I have. A vasectomy, and I've you know thought about it since the overturning last week, and I thought, well, you know, I was allowed legally to make the choice to go get a vasectomy to prevent the birth of any further children. So, you know, again, at what point is it a life? They'll say, well, life starts at conception, but the sperm is a living element of my body that is fifty percent responsible for the conception of a child. So, my my ability to go get a vasectomy, it's not, you know, more that I think the mandatory vasectomy thing, but I'm surprised that people aren't instead pushing the argument, why are is going to continue to be legal if abortion will not be? But, you know, I, I understand why you wouldn't push that argument because you're not trying to further regulate what happens with people's bodies. You're trying to say, don't tell me what to do. I will say that on Twitter, I didn't post this on Facebook because the Facebook audience tends to be, oh, I don't know a little more sensitive, but on Twitter I posted a joke a couple days after the overturning of Roe v. Wade and yes, I'm sure, too soon but it said something along the lines of, I'm sure a lot of people right now are asking themselves, is there really that big of a difference between an abortion and a vasectomy? And I would say yes, a vast difference. Get it? Vast difference? Vast difference? <laughs> That's a good one, Jeff. So, regarding the fact that now the states have the power and the control and people are complaining about the states that are going to make a complete ban on abortion or put a very short term as to when a mother can get an abortion after conception, which I do think, you know, the fact, the idea that someone should be able to get an abortion seven, eight months into their pregnancy, totally, totally don't agree with that. If it was an unplanned pregnancy and you know you don't want it, there's no reason it should take you six, seven, eight months to go get that abortion and let that creature, that child continue to develop and grow inside. Of you. And while I tend to be against the idea of abortion in general from a convenience perspective to just simply correct poor choices and decision making, I will tell you that, you know, if I didn't have a vasectomy right now and I knocked a girl up and it wasn't anyone I cared about, eh, I might be, you know, nudging her toward planned parenthood. So I've just never been in that situation. So it's hard for me to have a truly objective perspective and opinion. And again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about a lot of the points and perspectives that I take on this podcast. Do not, do not misconstrue those as me being 100% dug in, firmly set in my ways. It's me turning on the microphone and needing to entertain you. And the best way I seem to be able to do that is by bitching and ranting about things that annoy me. But again, regarding like the state's power, if you are not happy with the fact that the states have the power, because it seems like now a A lot of them are not going to allow it as openly as you would like it to be. I'm going to tell you there's a good chance a lot of that is your fault as a voter. And perhaps this will be a wake-up call for people to vote more often and pay attention to options and issues, especially on a local, state, or regional level. There is a reason why the majority of our government is made up of old fogies, with many of them being past, if not well past, retirement age, and more likely to be out of touch with the modern world. I did some research, surprise, surprise, and you know, I would assume that people who are older are going to tend to continue voting for people that they have voted for in the past, keeping those people in office. Or just generally voting from a more conservative perspective. And I don't necessarily mean conservative versus liberal. They're still very hardcore old liberals. But what I mean voting conservatively is not you know going out on a whim and trying to elect somebody that they're unsure of what they're going to do. So in the 2020 presidential election out of the registered voters, I will say that from ages 75 and up, 78% of them were registered. Of those 78%, 93% of them voted. That's a lot. Ages 65 to 74, 79% of them were registered. 96% of them voted. 45 to 64, 76% were registered. 94% of them voted. Here's where we're going to see the numbers start to dip. Age 25 to 44, 70% were registered. 89% of that 70% voted. 18 to 24, only 60% were registered and 86% of that 60% voted. Now, keep in mind that the 2020 presidential election was very controversial and it motivated a lot of people to register to either keep or remove Trump with the voter numbers higher than ever in a presidential election in this century. But when it comes to the states having the power, that's where your elected officials from a state or local perspective come into power play big time and is truly the core issue at the heart of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So let's look at non-presidential election numbers, which would be electing local and community and state politicians and policies from the 2018 midterm. So that would be, you know, the two year major voting cycle between presidential elections. So for age 75 and up, 75% were registered, 85% of those people voted, 65% To 74, 77% registered, 89% of them voted. 45 to 64, 71% registered, 83% voted. 25 to 44, 63% registered, 74% voted. And oh no, 18 to 24, 49%, that's it, were registered. And of that shitty percentage of registered voters, only 66% of them voted. So again, the majority of the votes, as you can see, are very heavily skewed toward the old older people that's why we have all these older people in office very out of touch people instead of some uprising by the younger faction of society to start to make some changes in how the government is staffed And, you know, let's be clear, you can't sit around and bitch about an out-of-touch government if you're not voting with information and confidence and voting regularly when it matters. If you're appalled by the recent SCOTUS ruling, SCOTUS being Supreme Court of the United States, then perhaps you'll consider that in the future. Voting more often, better defining your state leadership to be tailored to what you want from your state leadership, and then you won't have to just sit around and freak out like, oh no, the power is in the hands of the state. All I voted for or knew about was this one guy in the federal government who doesn't even have that much power. Also, don't forget, you don't just have to vote red or blue in either the small or the large elections. In fact, the sooner that we start demanding independent inclusion into the discussion and challenging the status quo, the sooner we're going to start seeing progress instead of regression. Also want to remind you all, we cannot vote for the Supreme Court justices. We can only vote for the Rep. Representatives that are going to nominate or make the appointments, which is all the more reason why you need to vote in every possible election at every level. All right, there we go. Enough about politics. I'm done. Let's move on. It's the Fourth of July. So, as I'm sure many of you know, the 4th of July celebrates the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, and the reason the Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed is because American colonists were tired of paying taxes to the European countries that they traveled from.
2: Hey guys, one more thing. Hey, this summer, when you're being inundated with all this American Bicentennial 4th of July brouhaha... Don't forget what you're celebrating, and that's the fact that a bunch of slave-owning, aristocratic white males didn't want to pay their
1: taxes. And, no doubt, these European countries had paid for their trips to get to America, they'd aided them in their initial survival once they had colonized, and the Declaration of Independence was drafted by, you know, a small group of wealthy white men from the first 13 colonies. Also, it was kind of a subtle attempt or hope to end the Revolutionary War, which had begun the year prior. I will tell you that the British government, they did not recognize the Declaration of Independence or the signing thereof. And the Revolutionary War continued for another seven years until the British were defeated. The fact that the British government did not recognize it kind of made our forefathers a little bit like Michael Scott on The Office when he realized that he was really broke. I declare bankruptcy! You can't just write something, yell, or say something and make it happen. It's not how it works. But again, you know, the main core of drafting and signing the Declaration of Independence was anger over taxation. In the 1760s, Britain was super deep in debt, and they started imposing taxes on American colonists on things like printed paper, paint, glass, lead, tea, and these are just taxes on things they were providing because the American colonists did not have the industry yet to create these things. And much of Britain's debts that they were trying to dig out of were due to fighting wars on behalf of the American colonists. So they considered these taxes fair to recoup their costs. I think that's totally fair, bloke. But the American colonists, they grew furious over the next several years of that taxation, saying that it was unfair to be taxed on things that were considered necessities. Of course, you know, now the government taxes us out the ass. They tax us on our own income, taking a large chunk of that. Then they tax us again with the money left over from what they already took on every single thing we buy. I will say that eventually Britain decided to repeal all of the taxes on the American colonists except for tea, the tea tax. But that's because they were providing 1.2 million pounds of tea to the American colonists every year. They knew the Americans wanted and needed tea, so they put it at a a tax on it. Based on the taxes I pay right now, that seems pretty fair to me. So this leads us to the Boston Tea Party. In the early 1700s, people started to smuggle tea from other countries to bypass the British Tea Tax and I will tell you that the smuggling operation was led in part by very well-known people, forefathers like Samuel Adams and John Hancock. You sneaky sons of bitches! Then on December 16th of 1773, there was a political protest over the tea tax at griffin's wharf in boston and that's where 342 chests of tea were dumped into the harbor which if you took the value of the tea that they dumped and equated it to today's economy that would have been over one million dollars worth of tea that they just threw into the harbor and this protest was led by a group called the sons of liberty which you know included prominent finger Quotes. Patriots like Samuel Adams, again, John Hancock, again, Benedict Arnold, and Paul Revere. After the Boston Tea Party happened, there were actually a couple notable figures of our history that spoke out against the protest saying that it shouldn't have happened. Two of those people were George Washington and Benjamin Franklin. So basically, a lot of these people from our history that are heralded as heroes and forefathers of our nation essentially committed treason, vandalism, and theft in a protest considering taxation to be wholly unfair. What would they think about America today. So the first 4th of July celebration took place the following year, July 4th, 1777, and it was in Philadelphia, and there were parades and fireworks, and this basically created the tradition that we celebrate today. Keep in mind that because Britain did not recognize the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. was celebrating the first, essentially, 4th of July, while they were still at war with Britain and would be for many years to come. Independence had not yet been gained. Simply written, Good enough. I declare... Bankruptcy! And here we are today. It's been 245 years since the Declaration of Independence was signed, and yet we still celebrate an independence that was merely one of written words, not accomplishment. Maybe it would make sense if our Independence Day was celebrated on the day that the war with Britain ended. But no. Also, everyone who drafted and signed the Declaration of Independence, these vandals, these thieves, these treasonous sons of bitches. I Don't know if that's the right term. They've been dead forever. Come on. Like at what point does one stop celebrating something that's just no longer relevant? But you know, America loves a reason to party and get a day off work. And watch a lot of shit exploding in the sky. So by all means, let's keep it going, shall we? We already have plenty of other holidays that celebrate fighting for our country and fallen soldiers. So it seems like those holidays would cover those soldiers from the Revolutionary War. So Essentially, when we're celebrating the 4th of July, we're simply celebrating a bunch of rich white dudes that threw shit against a wall and hoped that it stuck. So in regard to our modern 4th of July celebrations, let's look at some of the most commonly purchased items for the 4th of July. American flags, of course, that makes sense. Now I couldn't find specific month-by-month data in regards to what was purchased solely in June or July for American flags. But I will tell you that American flags has approximately 150 million flags sold every year. But I will tell you, about 5% of the flags that Americans buy every year are made in China. And
2: isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. And yeah, I really do think. It's like red.
1: Don't get me started on the song Ironic. Nothing in that song is really ironic. It's just bad luck, coincidence, happenstance. However, calling the song ironic and having nothing in it be irony, that is ironic. It's a paradox. If the universe collapses, I'm blaming Alanis Morissette. Anyway, flags to me are kind of weird and very archaic. In the modern day, it doesn't really mean anything to display a flag. Simply buying a piece of fabric and attaching it to a pole does not make you patriotic or even a decent person. In fact, some of the biggest shitbags in history have considered themselves huge patriots, i.e. Hitler. I mean, not an American patriot, but he considered himself a patriot. So another thing people spend a lot of money on, and I did get figures specific to the 4th of July celebration for these food. Food Food for cookouts and parties. In the couple weeks around 4th of July, America spends $7.5 billion on food for cookouts. That's a lot of cheddar. Alcohol, $1.4 billion. And, of course, the very commonly purchased item for 4th of July... Fireworks. Again, I was not able to find a month by month breakdown to figure out when fireworks sales occurred in like June or early July. So I'm just going to give you annual numbers. However, I would assume that the majority of the fireworks sales are taking place in that time period. So let's go back. Let's look at a three year trajectory of sales. 2019, this is pre-COVID, the fireworks industry saw $375 million worth of revenue from what I would call display or professional fireworks. So this might be a fireworks show in your city. Like here in Columbus, we have what's called Red, White, and Boom. It could be a fireworks show at a theme park like Disney. Then the consumer sales, so just people who bought shit for themselves or their neighborhood or whatever. So remember, 375 million dollars for display slash professional firework shows consumer sales 1 billion dollars that is a combined 1.4 billion dollars roughly now remember this is pre-covid so 2020 you know things probably gonna take a hit In 2020, July 4th would have fallen, I mean, in the heart of when quarantine and all that stuff was going on. The display or professional fireworks shows only amassed $93 million compared to $375 million the year before. The consumer sales, $1.9 billion, almost double, for a total revenue of $2.8 billion for the fireworks industry. which is more than the revenue for 2018 and 2019 combined. In 2021, immediately following COVID, the country is starting to reopen. The display and professional firework sales were $262 million, still less than 2019. Consumer sales, $2.2 billion, total of $2.5 billion, a little less. So the year that everything was shut down was the peak year of revenue ever in the history of the country for fireworks distributors. So while we're talking about fireworks, especially consumer fireworks, let's look at some really stupid fireworks accidents. Okay. So this is based on a 2019 annual fireworks report by some governmental agency that tracks shit about fireworks. In 2019, there were 12 non occupational deaths. So, again, consumer based. Just between June 21st and July 21st, there were 7,300 injuries related to fireworks. Children under 15 made up 36% of those injuries. And there were 900 emergency room visits related simply to sparklers. That's right, the boring ass, shitty ass sparklers that people, you know, light and then wave around. 900 injuries. ER visits for sparklers. We have a lot of morons in this country. So this report detailed the specifics of those 12 deaths. I'm not gonna go through all of them, just the ones I found the most entertaining. So the first one, a 45-year-old male died after a 1.4G canister style fireworks device. I don't really know what that means. I looked it up. It's not quite commercial grade, but it's still a big one. But it struck him in the chest. He was intoxicated with alcohol, of course, and the victim put the canister on his head and lit the fuse. I thought you said it hit him in the chest. I'm not finished. After putting it on his head like a moron, the mortar style firework device, fell forward and detonated, causing a penetrating arterial mortar wound. He died at the scene. All right, the next one. A 32-year-old male died after a lit Roman candle hit him in the chest and face. The victim was holding it in the air when it exploded and struck him in the face. When the paramedics arrived, he was in cardiac arrest. There were first-degree burns on his right forearm and bicep, a quarter-sized burn on his chest, and a dime-sized burn on his cheek. He was declared dead upon arriving to the hospital and the cause of death was a blast injury due to fireworks explosion. Now, I'm going to disagree with the coroner here. He only had a dime-sized burn on his face and a quarter-sized burn on his chest. Most of the burns were on his arm. I'm pretty sure this dude, having been in cardiac arrest, basically had died of having the shit scared out of him when this happened. His heart said, what the fuck? And he died from fear. That's my guess. It doesn't sound like the physical injuries were enough to kill him. Next, a 61-year-old male died from a firework explosion to his chest, so he lit a mortar-style firework facing the wrong way. And, of course, had been drinking all day. And a witness claimed to have told the man that the firework was backwards and not to light it. But, you know, he was like, that's okay, I'll do it anyway. And, of course, the firework hit him directly in the chest and he died instantly. We have a 53-year-old male who died after being struck in the head with fireworks. And he had been lighting fireworks in a half-buried canister. And one of the fireworks didn't detonate after he lit it. So what did he do? He went to the open end of the canister to check it. It detonated. and. struck him in the face people are morons we have a 21 year old male and he and his brother were setting off mortar style fireworks i keep saying mortar type these are like the big tubes that shoot high up in the air and a mortar is more of a military term so just when you hear me say mortar it means a big boy But this guy and his brother were setting off mortar-style fireworks on the rooftop of an apartment building, at which point the victim grabbed one of the fireworks. We've seen this before. Don't hold the fireworks, you idiot. But he lifted it up over his head, it exploded, and he fell to the ground. The victim's brother noticed that his head was bleeding and tied his shirt around his brother's head to try to stop the bleeding. Yeah, that's going to work. His brother died. Well, it took five days for him to die, but he died. Last but not least, a 29-year-old male died after holding a firework over his head when it exploded. Do you see a pattern here? When the ambulance arrived, the victim was in a supine position, which means lying face up, and he was missing a large section of his hand between his thumb and first finger. That makes sense. He also had a circular entry wound on his forehead, and an exit wound on the back of his head. Needless to say, he was taken to a hospital and died of his injuries. So let me just tell you, as you're celebrating the 4th of July, which granted this is coming out on actual 4th of July, on a Monday after all of the celebrations took place, but keep this in mind for next year. Don't hold fireworks in your hand while you're igniting them. Don't put them on your head. Don't put them on your chest. Don't put them up your butt. Light it in a controlled environment and get the fuck out of the way. And for the 900 people who went to the ER because of sparkler issues, Yay! well, that's just, you know, the natural process of elimination. So last thing I would like to discuss is patriotic media, so like movies and music surrounding the idea of patriotism, or even more specifically, the 4th of July. I'll tell you that the soundtrack to any fireworks display that you would see, whether it's a big one in your city or at a theme park or a little one in your neighborhood, it is very predictable and always the same. I know this because last year, my neighborhood did a big fireworks display, and I used some method I think it might have been just Facebook Live, I don't remember, but for the entire neighborhood to tap into a live DJ feed that I was doing for the fireworks and a lot of these songs that I'm about to point out were songs that I played. First one, let's just talk about, you know, a song that I'm sure Miley Cyrus, who's very liberal, is probably regretting right now after the overturning of Roe v. Wade and that is Party in the USA. We've got Little Pink Houses.
2: Oh, but ain't that America
0: you and me? Ain't that America? Something to see, baby. Ain't that America?
1: Of course, you're always going to hear the national anthem Stars and Stripes Forever, God Bless America. Usually, those are all done, you know, like a military band version. Born in the USA, Firework, Living in America, American Girl, American Pie, American Woman, just straight up America by Neil Diamond.
0: My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of the Ice
1: of the I see And pretty much any song from any country artist ever. There's lots of patriotic songs, or at least patriotic song titles, from country artists like Brad Paisley's "American Saturday Night," Brooks and Dunn with "Only in America," courtesy of "The Red, White, and Blue" by Toby Keith, "All American Girl" by Carrie Underwood, "American Spirit" by Thomas Rhett, "Independence Day" by Martina McBride, "Color Me America" by Dolly Parton, and going back to Miley Cyrus, her daddy with some gave all. Of course, no fireworks show is complete without God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. We all know this one and it's pretty much the only thing keeping Lee Greenwood alive since 1984 when he released it. I will also say that this song, pretty indicative of the total lack of the separation of church and state. For no reason whatsoever in our modern society should a phrase include the words God and USA or America or my country or our country. Those should not be together. The last one I will discuss is a song called Ragged Old Flag by Johnny Cash. You know, when you listen to it at first, it seems like a really touching song. Of course, it's weird because it's Johnny Cash and it's got all these transitions between musical styles throughout, even includes banjos. it does speak a lot about wars for pretty much no reason also including references to robert e lee the famed confederate general and it basically reinforces that american patriotism is for those who celebrate patriotism and its antiquated ideals so let's look at the film side of things so i went and did a google search for quote movies about patriotism and here were the top 10 results first born on the fourth of july with tom cruise that makes sense second independence day i mean kind of makes sense but it's about aliens so kind of doesn't make sense
0: mankind that word should have new meaning for all of us today we can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist.
1: American Sniper, Top Gun, more Tom Cruise. The Patriot, Glory with Matthew Broderick, which this was an amazing movie about the liberation of African American soldiers. So the fact that this is sixth is ridiculous. Also, it's better than any of the previous movies. Maybe only one I might say is neck and neck with it is The Patriot. At seventh, we have Air Force One, a fictional story about a president played by Harrison Ford on his plane, then saving Private Ryan. A Apollo 13, again, nothing patriotic about that, it's just a space movie, and Forrest Gump, The last three movies of the top 10 list, all featuring Tom Hanks. But when I saw this list, I'm thinking, like, why is war, like, most commonly associated with patriotism? Digging even deeper beyond the top 10, some of the other top 20 movies included Zero Dark Thirty, Red Dawn, Lone Survivor. But where are the movies like Roots, Mississippi Burning, The Help?, a League of Their Own, more Tom Hanks for you, or Milk with Sean Penn. You know, all of these displayed progress, equality, and civil rights, which is what our society is supposed to be built on. But instead, we need a bunch of guns, we need aliens, we need Tom Cruise flying planes, or pretty much anything Tom Hanks has ever done, and it's considered patriotic. I then did a Google search for movies about women's rights. Only five results came up. Five. I couldn't give you a top ten because I only got five results. And honestly, never heard of any of those five. And where's there been a movie about Martin Luther King Jr.? We celebrate it as a federal holiday. We all get paid to have that day off, or I guess people in an industry that celebrates or pays for that to be a day off. But no studio has ever made a major film about one of the most prolific civil rights activists in our country. But Top Gun 2? No problem. So if you want to know why society is so fucked, blame the media. And to an extent, blame yourself for being a part of it and willingly digesting everything that they give you. So that's all I have to discuss about the 4th of July. Again, I apologize that there was a lot of political talk in this episode. It's never my goal, but it's also hard not to have these discussions in this current environment. I promise you that the next episode, I don't know what it's going to be about, but it's going to be something silly. It's going to have nothing to do with politics or anything of a serious nature. Don't forget that you can go follow me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. You can also visit my website to get more links to my Etsy store or my original music at jeffshafer.com. J-E-F-S-H-A-F-F-E-R.com. Until next time, I'm Jeff. I declare bankruptcy! I'm I'm Jeff. night
2: Went to the devil and I prayed And I showed him the mess that I made me And I cried and I cried devil just laughed in my face I went to the god of fire and said can you turn the heat a little higher cause I've been burned and I've been burned a million times over but he just covered me with water so I went to the Lord.